0: Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with host Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, Annie Highwater, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast, along with the learning modules and discussion blog, in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, Coming Up for Air.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall um, on Coming Up for Air. Uh, we have uh, co-host, Kayla Solomon. Hi, Kayla. How are you doing today? I'm good.
2: Good to be here.
1: And Dominique Simone Levine, the creator of the Allies and Recovery website. Hi, Dominique. How are you? I'm
3: fine. Good morning, everybody.
1: Today, we have a special guest, and um, I think that Dominique is gonna be the one to introduce her to all of us. Dominique, can you take it away?
3: Sure, thank you. Uh, This morning, we're talking to Dr. Mimi English. Uh, Dr. English, or Mimi as most of us call her, has been involved, uh, has a a doctorate in education, and has worked in the uh, medical and mental health fields uh, throughout her career. I have known her uh, in in, uh, Springfield, working in a low-income clinic in Springfield, in the north end of Springfield. Um, And most recently, she's been working as uh, uh, an expert witness uh, for the uh, attorneys of people involved with child protection services. Um, She has a great deal of expertise in uh, three-generation families and the foster system, so we're very excited to have her here this morning. We have a lot of grandparents on on the site, and and I'm sure listening this morning um, or know of situations in your family where a grandparent is raising a grandchild due to the predominantly opioid epidemic. Um, so Mimi, we're very glad to have you. Thank you for taking the time this morning. Um, would like so, Kayla, would you like to open?
2: Yeah, my, my biggest question is I would love to hear the patterns that you're witnessing in families and generations. like what are you seeing in terms of the the patterns of substance use with generations?
4: Well, I think it's it's not unusual that the parents, of the person who is suffering from addiction are also in recovery one or both of them and also the other pattern that i see is a lot of concern about whether the next generation is going to be lost in the same dynamic is is going to be also very vulnerable to becoming addicted to something and i think that that it's It's very complex to look at how that family dynamic gets worked out or doesn't get worked out, and what the relationship by the grandparent of the grandparents with the biological child that is their child is in regard to raising the grandchildren. That's something that I think is extraordinarily complex and changes almost daily in some families. Some days they're talking to the the person who's addicted and some days they're not, some days they allow them to see their children, some days they don't. And that's very, very confusing for everybody. And I think the other piece of it is that part of what grandparents might not understand is that children, if, if a conversation involves something about them and their life and where they are and when they'll see their mom or dad again, they're listening. Whether you think they're listening or not, they've got their ear to the wall. Recently in my own family, I have seven grandchildren and four adult children. And recently somebody broke up with with their boyfriend. And I was driving my eight-year-old back from camp. And I said something about this person. I said, well, so-and-so is going to be around. and, And she said, I wanna know about the air quotes, boyfriend. And I said, what? She said, you know, so-and-so's boyfriend. I said, oh, well, they broke up. She said, Nana, I know that. In this family, if anybody whispers something, you know the whole story within five minutes.
3: (laughs) And she's eight.
4: She's eight. So I think that that's true to varying degrees with different age children. And the younger the child is, the more there is an assumption that if they're not very adept in their language, in their expressive language, that doesn't mean they don't have reflective language. And they do understand many things that we don't give them credit for understanding. And of course they have a primitive understanding of whatever's going on. so any kinds of words that we use that they don't know, they'll make up their own meaning for what that word is. So what
2: do you suggest in terms of communicating with these kids, with the grandkids? What what makes sense in terms of communicating with them about the, the situation?
4: I think it's really good to have some clinical support for the children and to have guidance from the person who's working with the children I think all children whose whose grandparents are raising them should be involved in some kind of therapy where at least they have a checkup every now and then. Not necessarily weekly therapy, but some way for somebody else outside the family to have their finger on the pulse of what's going on with the child. And then I think that the grandparents should take the lead from the therapist.
2: Hmm.
4: I think the grandparents have way too much emotional baggage to be able to make these decisions independent of some outside
3: help. It seems to me what you're saying, Mimi, is also applicable to the grandparents responding and and behaving around their own children and using the grandchildren as levers yeah and, and everybody's confused and, and, and it, it comes back down to what's the goal? And if the goal is to protect the children, then you will react in, you react in ways that may not be the best for your own. If you're protecting the grandchildren, you may not react in a way that makes craft sense uh, with your own daughter or, or son at this point. Uh, you're doing things f- with the goal of, of protecting the children, but h- how would we create a system, a, a change or improvement in the family dynamic that leads with craft and provides a, a way of behaving that's good for both the children and the grandchildren?
4: Well, I, I think that we have to really look at whether or not there's any conscious or unconscious desire to alienate the children from the parent. Mm -hmm. So the alienation of the parental group, if there are two parents, assuming they're both still on this earth, um, I always try to tell grandparents that when they're talking about the parent of their grandchild, they need to remember that they're talking about part of the grandchild, that children are part of their mother and their father for good or for bad. And we like to focus on what's good about mommy or daddy. And so if we tell them things that are good about the parent and things that we really admire and respect about the parent, then we help to build up the child's self-esteem and also help to avoid just alienating the children forever from that parent. One of the things that I've seen happen quite a lot, and and this is interesting in terms of if, I'm gonna speak about race for a minute here. If a white woman is involved, has been involved with either a Latinx or an African-American person or a person of mixed race, and has the children with that person, there's a real propensity, at least in the cases that I've been involved with, of blaming that person, the father, for being the one that introduced the mother to drugs. And quite often that isn't the case. And that person gets demonized. And even I've seen parents who are fathers who are ordered to see their kids in a supervised visitation setting who have never even used drugs themselves, who got involved with a woman who was using and didn't know about it at first. And then when, by the time they found out it was really already out of control and they already had one or two or three kids. It's hard to imagine that, but you know how it goes. Yeah. You
1: know, it sounds it sounds to me like such a, such a complex whirlwind of, of emotions um, and interactions going on within the family. Um, that it just sounds like the grandparents need a ton of support to kind of parcel out what's going on here, right? Like what's, you know, what's real what's just pure emotion, what's resentment, what's, and and how is this all getting passed down um, from generation to generation? Um, It it sounds like an incredibly complex um, issue that in order to support the kids and protect the children, the grandparents need a ton of support.
4: Well, they do need a ton of support. And I would say also that they need to understand themselves and their own motivation, because a lot of times the motivation for being the rescuer of the children is something about trying to make up for what they didn't do right Mm -hmm. with the children. And if they haven't come to terms with that as a potential motivator, and if they haven't come to terms with whether or not they can forgive themselves whether or not the child, their adult child can forgive them. They need to understand that operationally that child is remembering what the parent did or didn't do for them. At the same time, now the parent has their kids.
3: Yeah. Complex,
4: very complex.
3: And I, when I was looking into this prior to the recording, I could find nothing specific uh, that, was being suggested in resources, you know, go talk to a counselor, perhaps your church, go to an Al-Anon meeting. Um, Where does a grandparent go for help? Where do they get the support Lori's suggesting?
4: I think there are some resources, but they're very scarce. And they often get the help from the church, which what the church might do might be very different from what we might think is helpful. And so, you know, you can't just pray about something and have it be all right, especially when it involves the complex emotions of three generations of people who are trying to figure out how to navigate a very, uh, a huge minefield in terms of what can happen to the child's, inner life in this dynamic and how they understand or don't understand where their parent is. I have you know done counseling with children who were raised by various other people because of their mother's addiction and one of the things she told me at some point was she said that she told the people in her class that she was going on a vacation to I think they said Mexico Over spring break to visit their mom because they hadn't been able to address where mom was, because mom was incarcerated at the time. And so then when they came back to school and all the kids started asking her about the trip, she was just lost. She couldn't really tell them about the trip because it was made up. But she had to figure out something to say to her peers when they said, Where's your mom? And Why don't you see your mom? And why are you living with your grandparents? So she made up a story that her mom didn't live in this country. Wow.
2: Yeah, and when I think of it from the uh, clinical orientation, it's like you have generations of of shame, basically, and that's what you're describing as shame. So the grandparent also is going to feel possibly feel some form of shame for, Oh, because of this and this and this, my child became an addict, which is something we deal with all the time here. And then you have the, the, the child of that person, the grandchild who's also feeling shame, like, where's my parent? What story do I have to make up? The actual story is not okay. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot um, at least in my group is, how to be able to come up with an acceptable story that involves the truth. Like, how do you hold your truth so you don't perpetuate the lie of what's going on? Because there's so much lying when it comes to substance use. And how do you not encourage lying, but come up with a truth that actually feels palatable to communicate with other people?
4: Yeah, that's really important.
2: But I, I, and- I, the other thing that I was gonna say is that you know a little a little shout out to therapy because what therapy does as opposed to some of the support groups is it, it the idea of therapy is that you're looking more internally at your own personal dynamics so that you're looking at what what your inner life is like what your inner thoughts are like what what dynamics you come from and then what dynamics you're continuing and and really what therapy is about is having enough insight into yourself that you could begin to change. And so in this case, you could see the, the dynamic of when people don't work on that change, it perpetuates. You know, you have to do something to change the cycle and the legacy of the family. Right.
1: And I think that's kind of bringing it back to the craft piece of it. I think that craft actually, that that is what it promotes, what it encourages is how can I change? What it, what are the different things that I can do to address this differently? And just bringing in the positive communication alone is gonna help uh, grandparents uh, working with grandchildren and their own um, child or adult child um, that's dealing or living with substance use disorder in the moment. Um, but also the uh, the other thing about all of this is um taking like you you kind of alluded to this Mimi earlier, taking into account the age of the grandchildren that you're dealing with, and um, absolutely promoting honesty and truthfulness, but also taking into account what their um what their age is and what in how to convey that information to them um so that it's not Traumatizing, or as traumatizing, or um, I think that's an important, and that's coming from my my teaching background, right? That it it has to be age appropriate.
4: Well, and I think that that your point, Lori, and your point, Kayla, is that therapy can be helpful if it helps people retell the story. Yes, and recraft the narrative. Yeah. And that can happen at different ages with different children. But the piece that I think is most salient here is, you know, we want to focus on the children, but we really have to focus on the grandparent. Yes. Right. Because the grandparent is really providing the emotional environment for the children. And if they've got some kind of really, um, defended position regarding who they were as a parent, or even if they understand the ways that they may have not done the job they wish they had done. I don't know any parent of adult children who hasn't said, oh God, did I miss that? You know, there are ways that it's, to be a parent is to to never be able to avoid making mistakes. You can't avoid that. You make mistakes all the time. And some are big ones and some are small ones. But if the grandparent is in there thinking they're going to rescue the grandchildren from the things that happened to their own children, then that grandparent needs somebody to talk with about how their motivation might change if that original wound was more healed. If they could really open to the idea that the child with the substance use disorder could maybe someday have the children back. But there seems to be a locked in position where if the grandparent gets the children, they wanna keep them. And their idea is that it keeps them safe. But there's also another dynamic going on. And that is, if they keep them, then they get to wipe away all of their mistakes. That's not true.
3: That can't happen. And if I, if I could break in for a second, Mimi, because that is what we are doing, which is is trying to change the response and the behavior of that grandparent, and in this case towards their grandchildren. But I don't want us to forget that to help the grandchild, you're going to want to help the parent of that grandchild, and so. It's a lot of work for that grandparent, but they need—they should be looking at ways of improving the relationship with their own children too, in order to help all that dyna- to the whole, to help that entire dynamic. And I think craft provides the sanest, simplest, uh, most specific way that that grandparent can begin to change the relationship with their own child um, in a way that. Everything calms down a little bit for everybody, for all three generations. And while we're asking so much of that grandparent, in fact, uh, Mimi and I have been talking to several grandparents on the on the west coast. I swear to God they should be CNN heroes, these people they you know they have they have such chaos in their lives and they're so worried and scared for their children and grandchildren um, that they they themselves, now have to sit down and learn a few skills, mm-hmm. perhaps do a little therapy, take a look at themselves and their own motivations, and start to heal the relationship with their own child as well. Um, for for everything to be a little gentler for that grandparent, we want you we want you to feel a little calmer and a little less overwhelmed, and a little less uh, easily triggered because you're so stressed and scared so it's it, it's a big job here. Uh, I think our site and craft teaching you craft does a good piece of it in an easily digestible way um, but it's there's so much more to be done for especially for those children so Mimi, you're recommending that there's at least a therapist on board um, for the child and family therapy I mean what do you do to try and repair the relationship with the parent at all? Or or wh- is that not what you would do at this, at this stage with young children?
4: It depends on the age stage of the child and how much time they're spending with the parent, whether they see the parent, whether they don't see the parent. But I think that family therapy is really hard to find these days. And even individual therapy for kids is hard to find hey, because so many people are still really wanting to do virtual, which really doesn't work very well with kids. I mean, certain age kids can do it, but little kids can't. Um, I think that one of the things that's most complex about it is that if you could involve a guidance counselor, if the child is in school, it might be the guidance counselors who would have more access to the child in a regular way Even if they weren't counseling them every week, they would see them around. And that could be very reassuring to a child who feels like they need some other place to take some of their confusion. So guidance counselors, I think would be a good resource. The other thing I I noticed in the cases we've worked on and, and in other cases is that the grandmother, if there's a heterosexual couple raising the children, There's one person who usually is the communicator with outside people. And there's often a partner, a man or a woman in the background, sort of lurking, listening to what gets said, but not really saying much because one person gets to be the spokesperson. I often am wondering like, what would that person say? if I were talking to them, because often I think they have very different positions.
2: Well, and that's the other moving piece here. It's that you're not only working with the grand, a grandparent, a child and a grandchild or more, but then there's partners involved. And if they have a different position, it's so complicated, which is, it's a, it is a shame that there's not more family therapy out there. And I think the pandemic, by the way, as a therapist, the pandemic made everybody realize that therapy is necessary. And so every therapist I know was totally booked up, but I do think that things are starting to calm down a little bit and things are opening a bit because people who locked in to therapy during the pandemic are now backing off a little bit more. So I think there's more openings. That's what I've been hearing at least.
4: I hope so. I just think that for people who are on, uh, on insurance that requires them to go to a clinic that very few clinics are offering family therapy.
2: Yeah.
4: Or, you know, I've heard people consider in-home therapy by a paraprofessional family therapy, which I want to say on record, that isn't therapy. Those people are not trained to do family therapy. They're trained to come into the home and give some support to the parents or grandparent in this case, but they're not really trained in the way that a family therapist is trained.
1: You know, um, also... Um, what about people that aren't insured, right? What, what do you do
3: then if you're not insured? Well, not insured can be uh, when it comes to substance use disorder treatment can be an advantage because uh, the, the public system is oftentimes better organized and better accessible and you go in uninsured. I don't know how that works for family therapy. I'm assuming it's just as hard to find it. Um, But it's a question you should pose yourself as a family member is whether or not it's better that your loved one have insurance or not when it comes to being treated for addiction Um, because it is so hard to get good treatment and and to be able to get it paid for by insurance. So, um, So some solutions. What can we do today? What can, what can that grandparent do in the moment for today? I think- well, what,
2: Go ahead, but Mimi.
4: I was, I was gonna say focusing on self-care, really making sure that there's some place where that grandparent gets taken care of, where they're not just completely on all the time, taking care of everybody else. They need to really find some place where they can feel like they're being held by somebody.
2: Well, and I also think that, that that's the gift of Zoom and, and, and the internet, which is that people don't have to leave their houses to get support. So our our groups are now all on Zoom and that's a massive support and you don't have to leave. You don't have to get childcare. You just need hopefully to get some privacy. Yeah. And uh, And I feel like there's a lot online now that didn't exist before. So there's more access for support in various ways. Certainly on the craft, uh, on the Allies and Recovery website, but mm-hmm. I, I assume that there's other supports also that people can get ga- engage in um, remotely.
1: I do think they're they're relatively minimal, right? And I and I agree with you, Kayla. You can have access to rest meetings, to Kayla's group. Um, I know in Rhode Island and maybe Dominique, maybe you can talk a little bit about Massachusetts, but I know in Rhode Island, they have two um, two forms of support for grandparents raising grandchildren. And one is Grand's Flourish. Um, and she is a woman that um, started this group because she is raising her grandchild. And she saw that a lot of families needed a lot of the, the family support, but also they needed legal support as well and understanding the system while they're raising their grandchildren. Um, So she's a great resource, but she's also, she's out of Rhode Island. Uh. And um, the other thing that they do in Rhode Island is they have an organization that has a reunification. um, They call it a reunification process. It's not that all families get reunified um, but they have a system where they're working with case managers, with the family, the grandparents, um, and they provide uh, recovery coaches. Or um, And what a recovery coach is under these particular circumstances are um, – people with lived experience that have experience with like having their children taken from them. And now grandparents are now raising the grandchildren and those recovery coaches actually help the person um, that is living with substance use disorder. But within this whole system of the reunification process, they're all working together. So there is absolutely a case manager that's working with the family there's someone that's working with the child or the children. And then there is a recovery coach that's working with um, the person with substance use disorder. So um, they're that's doing- That's amazing.
4: Yeah, that is amazing.
1: Yeah. It's the Parent Support Network of Rhode Island um, has this program. It's a really great program because it also includes, um, it includes women that are, are pregnant and either on medically assisted recovery or um, they try and pull people that are uh, using substances while they're pregnant to get uh-huh. them into this program. And they follow them all through the birthing process and after the baby is born and um, and they try and support them through all
3: of
4: this. Wow, that's great. That's amazing.
3: Well, if I could uh, give a shout out to the Institute for Health and Recovery, IHR, Cambridge. Boston, uh, Massachusetts, they are national experts on substance use disorder and children and parenting. Um, They're full of resources, um, and they're often behind these very innovative models for trying to find solutions. The other thing I suggest to grandparents who come uh, onto the site and write in questions is, you may not have anything in, in your area, and that's especially true in the South, by the way, where the number of grandparents raising children is the highest in the country. Right along Mississippi, Louisiana, right down in there, uh, we're upwards uh, increases of like 30% of of, of these these th- three uh, generation. Situations. Um, yeah. So, if you're in an area that has is very poorly resourced, I get you to call Massachusetts, or I get you to call the what uh, Rhode Island, uh, Lori just described in Rhode Island, and ask your questions there. Especially legal questions, where uh, things vary from state to state. But mm-hmm. call any state parent grandparent group and start asking your questions. They'll lead you in the directions I think you'll need to go in if you don't have anything. In your area, but it's it, it's it's it it's hit or miss right now. There's a lot of innovative local work being done. Use the telephone and the internet to find something that and someone to talk to. Um, there's a, a lot of confusion on the legal issues. Can you say a few words, Mimi, about what happens when when child protective services is involved in these three-generation families?
4: It's very um, adversarial quite often that there's a dynamic that is created and not helped by um, the the people who are doing care and protection cases because there's an attitude um, that's pervasive I find in a lack of training in understanding substance use disorders among the people in the parent agency of DCF, they don't always understand that it's not a choice. There's really a lot of educational work that needs to be done with DCF around understanding substance use disorder in a more broad-based way, in in a way that really does bring in the generational focus and the generational trauma. I think that quite often, Uh, I know that there are epigeneticists who are really looking at the transmission of trauma across generations. And when you look at substance use disorder across generations, it goes back way more than three generations. And I think that people need to understand that and need to understand that the parents' relationship, you don't find parents or grandparents calling for their therapists on their deathbed they're calling for their family. They want their family. They need their family. And for whatever the imperfections are, there needs to be more respect directed toward the continuation and support of those relationships in a healthy way. Mm.
1: What a, what a wonderful, wonderful thing to say. Brought tears to my eyes. (laughs)
2: I, I just want to do a little plug for um, the pure for peer support, okay. because I feel like if you look at most of the interesting models across the world, it was developed by people who were going through the experience and they needed support. And so sometimes if something doesn't exist, it, it might be that it's worth trying to reach out to other people and find the other people who are going through it, if nothing else, just to be able to talk to people who understand. Um, And so much has been developed by people because out of necessity, they need something and they create something. And I, 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 when I, when I meet with the group on Wednesday nights, I think this, this is the wisest, most powerful group of people I've ever met in terms of what they're able to accomplish and what they know and their resources. And, the next step is to take that and create something to meet your own needs. So there's that piece of it if it doesn't exist in certain areas.
4: Well, I think, yeah, go ahead, Mimi. I think that when people realize they have a need that they can't meet, that that just adds to the powerlessness of the situation. So they don't know who to call or what's safe to get involved in. Because I know a lot of people, if they're not already involved with Child Protective Services, they don't want to be. Mm -hmm. And they want to be careful about what they say and to whom they say it. But there are a lot of young people who are suffering with substance use disorder who have parents who have already died or parents who are still lost in their own addiction and can't help them. So there are lots of kids and lots of people who are suffering who don't have any resource other than the Department of Children and Families to help them. Yeah,
1: right, right. Well, ladies, this was a wonderful, much needed conversation. And maybe in the future, we can have Mimi back on and dig uh, deeper into this particular topic. So thank you so much, Mimi, for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. It's a
4: pleasure. Thank you. And
1: um, I'm hoping uh, we're we're gonna say our goodbyes. We're gonna see, uh, or not see. We'll hear, or you'll hear from us in another week. Um, But Kayla, can you kind of wrap it up for us? Yeah, I
2: I think I think what if you if you listen to today, it's about the the multi generational um, dynamic of addiction and how in many many families. Parents who may or may not be in recovery at the aggr- parents who have children who are substance users or have substance use disorder are are actually now taking care of their grandchildren. And the complexity of the family dynamics, the complexity of the intergenerational trauma and substance use dynamic, and also the resources and lack of resources at this point, um, and the need for for people to really get connected not just through this system of protective services but to reach out and get more support so that they could get through this cuz it's so overwhelming it's so difficult but it's but people are need to know that they're not alone um and certainly craft has resources that can help people. And and the Allies in Recovery model and the Allies in Recovery site has a lot of resources for folks out there that are struggling with this as grandparents.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Bye, ladies. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.